let's get agreement that this is a strategic priority. That area of alignment and synergy can be very Looking important. The future, we're committed to expand valuation. time, there's still progress that needs to be made. This is Healthcare Strategies. Hello, and welcome to Healthcare Strategies. I'm Anuja Vaidya, Senior Editor and Special Events Lead at mHealth Intelligence. The youth mental health crisis in America reached new heights during the COVID-19 pandemic, even leading the Surgeon General to issue a public health advisory in 2021 calling for a response. The statistics are staggering. In 2021, more than a third of high school students said that they experienced poor mental health during the pandemic and nearly half said that they felt persistently sad or hopeless during the past year. This crisis has been brewing for quite some time. From 2009 to 2019, the share of high schoolers with persistent feelings of sadness or hopelessness increased by 40%. One tool that could help address the youth mental health crisis is telehealth, and some organizations are working to bring telehealth options for behavioral health care to schools, thereby expanding access and reducing time and travel costs for parents or caregivers. Today, Donnie Mitchum, Director of Facility Clinical Operations for Atrium Health's Behavioral Health Services, and Christine Zazaro, Facility Executive for Behavioral Health Charlotte at Atrium Health, are joining us to discuss Atrium Health's school-based telehealth programs for behavioral healthcare, including how they set these programs up, and why they are a vital part of the larger strategy to extend telemental healthcare services to kids. Donnie and Christine, thank you for coming on to Healthcare Strategies today. Thank you. Thank you. So pleased to have you. To kick things off, let's discuss the youth mental health crisis in America, sort of on a larger, broader scale. So could you discuss the factors driving this crisis both before and after the pandemic hit? Christine, we'd love to hear from you. Yeah, everybody was very preoccupied once the pandemic hit, right? But in December, I think it was December of 2021, the Surgeon General actually released a public health advisory noting that the pandemic had intensified mental health issues and that it really exacerbated things that were already going on in the country. So globally, symptoms of anxiety and depression doubled during the pandemic, I would say. And, and there's you know, a couple of things that really attributed our youth in particular as having the most difficulty. And one, you know, we know that teenagers especially have very deep connections with their peer groups. So socially, they became more isolated and were forced to sometimes stay with only family, which maybe there's conflict. There's a reason that we all have conflict with teenagers in our life, and that's so that they can be motivated to grow up and become adults and leave the house, right? So that becomes hard when you don't have that escape valve of school or a social life. And I think that really hit a lot of kids hard. The other thing is that the, the fast-paced media and the fact that our kids and our adults are over-informed and they had very little control over things that were coming out in the news around the pandemic and deaths and how people get sick. And, you know, if you think back to all the way that all that information was coming at us and changing as we were learning, that can make people feel very out of control and dysregulated. And then social media always amplifies things that are already going on, maybe in a person's mind. 
And so there's a lot of good information out there about how that can be dangerous for our teens. But, you know, those are a lot of things that were going on and really impacted our youth in particular during the pandemic. Absolutely. Sounds kind of like the perfect storm of all these different factors, the rise in social media, the pandemic. and It really was. And if you, you know, if you didn't go to school every day, you were on a screen and you stopped doing wellness activities because you were using screen time, right? Instead of going out in the community and meeting with your friends or going to a movie or doing sports, you're on a screen trying to connect with people. And so sleep decreased, exercise decreased, and that human-to-human contact decreased. The other thing that we saw was that people waited a really long time to get any kind of help because they were so afraid to go out into the community. And we were telling people to not go out if they didn't have to. And so early intervention and prevention wasn't there. And ultimately, it took a crisis normally to get somebody to access care. Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, so as we saw with so many other types of care, obviously inpatient services drastically reduced or, you know, were eliminated entirely. And of course, unfortunately, mental health was part of that. But, you know, we've seen as a consequence, the rise of virtual care and telehealth. Christine, could you discuss how virtual care modalities like telehealth have really been used to help mitigate this crisis or address this crisis? Yeah, you know, we at Atrium Health have been using telehealth for quite a long time, actually. And so it was really a way to combat access to care. So many people in North Carolina did not have access to psychiatrists and there was a workforce shortage. And so what we were able to do because Charlotte and Atrium Health had a large number of psychiatrists, we were able to provide emergency consults to determine if people needed to go into the hospital or not and recommendations via telehealth. That's really where our telepsychiatry program was being used is in the emergency setting in that way. And then from there, once the pandemic hit, I think we were fortunate actually because we had already had that base that we were able to change gears really quickly to provide a virtual platform for almost, I think, all of our outpatient services. And so that enabled people to be able to stay in their homes and continue to get the services that they needed in a timely way. And it really didn't matter about where they were located. Right. Absolutely. It really sort of helped extend that care into the home. And luckily, behavioral health, mental health care is something that could be more easily delivered virtually. So that is fantastic. Right. And, you know, uh, along with this sort of extension of telehealth for behavioral health care into homes, another, of course, key facility that, you know, children are going to every day and are key part of their lives are schools. So let's now focus a little bit on school-based telehealth for pediatric behavioral health care. Donnie, I was wondering if you could kind of give us an overview of Atrium Health's efforts in this area. Absolutely. So Christine said it, in most of our areas, we were providing some kind of virtual service. School was not one of those. We have been providing school-based services for a long time, over 28 years. We've been providing therapy in schools for students, all in person. And so when the pandemic started, we had to transition very quickly with those providers to a model that was virtual. And we learned very quickly and did that. And so right now we are providing virtual school-based services in the school setting 
in five counties in 35 schools, middle and high schools. That's fantastic. And so how did you go about setting up these school-based programs? You know, what were some of the devices you implemented? You know, were they provided by the school, by the health system? What did that partnership with the schools look like? Absolutely. Early on, we had to do a little bit of everything because students went home. None of them went home with their Chromebooks at that time. The schools set up programs where they can drive by and pick those up. So initially, we used a couple of different modalities to get that service to students. And some of that had to be on a parent's smartphone. We have evolved now because what was really important to us is to offer that service in a way that is safe and private for the students. If we are offering something in a school, we don't want the next student to have any access to that. So we've kind of, we're using an iPad now in most of those places, but with our focus being, how can we use a virtual platform that is private for our students? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, you know, what have been some of the benefits you've really seen of the implementation of these programs? Um, Overwhelming, the benefits that we have received. Really all good. It is. (laughs) It was only the therapist who thought, maybe this won't work. Mm -hmm. Students received it very well. Students, they're technological beings. It didn't matter to them that they were getting the therapy via a virtual platform. And what I think the most amazing result that we saw is We were able to deliver services quicker than in-person services and provide services to more students than we were ever able to by doing it in person. I'll just tell you one statistic that's just amazing for me. An in-person referral to intake, around 20, 25 days for that to happen. A virtual intake, the first year we did it, nine days was the average from a referral to that student being able to receive services. And that's the important thing. A kid doesn't have to wait an additional 11 or 12 days to get the care that they need. Right. No, that's a huge difference. Christine, is there anything you'd like to add on some of the benefits you've seen with extending telemental healthcare into schools? Yeah. You know, there's a couple things. Another thing that happened in the pandemic is that we all faced a workforce shortage. Everybody really took an inventory of their life and made changes. And it wasn't as easy to get healthcare workers as it had been in years past. And so, one thing that the virtual model enables us to do is allow one person to be the therapist at multiple different schools because we don't have to drive to the school anymore. We used to have therapists that would cover one or two or three schools, and they would have to drive to the different schools in order to see those patients. This eliminated all of that waste and so allowed our providers to be more productive and to see more patients. And so we didn't need as many in the virtual model as we would have to have a person located at every school, for example. You know, I think the other thing, and Donnie would agree, is it's a huge benefit to parents. Mm -hmm. I mean, back when everybody was at home, it it didn't change too much. But now that the kids are back at school and we're still providing that virtual care, they don't have to leave work. They don't have to pick up their kid to bring them to therapy. I mean, it would take a half a day vacation basically to get your kids services. And that's just not feasible for all of our families. 
And, you know, a lot of the kids with behavioral health concerns are also high risk for educational problems as well. And so you also don't want that person to, to miss half a day instruction in order to get therapy. And this just makes it really easy to pop in and pop out and get the care that you need. I think I'll just add another statistic in there for that data. So all these years, of, we track what we call a conversion rate, which means you get an intake and that actually becomes a patient that you see. Mm-hmm. Historically, about 50 to 60 percent of those students go from a referral to getting the care that they need. With virtual, that's over 85 percent of those kids who come to a referral actually get the care they need. And I think it's because parents want everything for their kid, but they also have to feed their kid and keep the lights on. And when we do it by a virtual modality, the parents can do that on their lunch break. And I think it's just wonderful. Absolutely. It really kind of tears down those traditional barriers in such a kind of integrated way because kids are already at school and they have this access and, you know, just opens up all these doors that that were previously closed. So that is really incredible. But I'd love to dig in now a little bit to, you know, as you were setting up these programs, were there any challenges you faced and, you know, what did you do to kind of overcome implementation challenges? Donnie, would you like to kick things off? Absolutely. First of all, probably the largest barrier was access to um, stable internet. Um, Schools did provide some hotspots, so that helped once that finally happened. But in this world, we think everybody has access, and they don't. The second thing I think was a barrier is we have families who live multi-generationally and share living space and finding a safe, confidential space for the student to be able to have their therapy. That's important too. So both of those kind of things, I think, were initial large barriers that we had to work on. And it became a teaching moment for the student. It's important that you have a private space. Is there a place you can go where we can talk freely? And helping them learn about their boundaries and their ability to have some privacy. Right. Absolutely. Absolutely. Earlier, you mentioned a little bit about how maybe there was more hesitancy from the psychiatrist side versus, you know, the student side, because as you said, kids are so used to kind of living their lives on devices, on technology. So was there any sort of provider hesitancy in kind of delivering school-based telehealth? And how did you sort of gain that buy-in and integrate the programming to sort of their existing workflows? I think one thing for us is there was, because it was a technology barrier, even for some of our therapists who have been providing it one way for so long. And I'll tell you how we battled that. First of all, everybody wanted to help their kids. Mm -hmm. So the motivation was there, Uh, but it felt strange because they hadn't did it. Mm -hmm. We did practice therapy sessions. I had lots of practice therapy sessions where we practiced joining a session, ending a session, making sure your audio was right. So I think that was one of the things that we really did that helped our therapists a lot, letting them practice it so they could do it. Christine, do you want to add anything there? You know, uh, 
we we've struggled with that all throughout our history with virtual care and you always have those early adopters which you know it's easy for them and they're ready to go and then you have others that are that take longer to really acclimate to that kind of platform but so you know it's helpful to have them help each other mm-hmm. and teach each other and i think once they experience it it works out fine because it works just as well. You know, I would say not really the providers were the big barrier, but schools, mm-hmm. you know, they, but that what choice did we have? So that was the benefit of, well, one of the only benefits of the pandemic is that it really didn't give us a lot of options. If we wanted to continue to provide the service, everybody had to be on board with this virtual platform. And so that really helped us because what we were able to do in a month would have taken years to get everybody on board and working together to make that happen. So I think that that is a benefit we should call out because, you know, everybody can name something terrible that was a result of the pandemic, right? But not that many positives came from it. But I think acclimating so many so fast to virtual care was a great part of that. Absolutely. And, you know, Christine, just want to stick with you for a minute. I think that's so interesting that, you know, maybe schools were a little bit more hesitant. So now that we're sort of in a world where in-person care has resumed, although telehealth is still a very integral part of healthcare delivery, what advice do you have for providers who are looking to sort of extend these school-based telehealth programs who see the value in like having kids have that access, you know, within their school day, all the benefits both you and Donnie spoke about. So what advice you have for them kind of looking to implement these programs? Is there anything sort of that you know now that you wish you'd known then that you do a little bit differently or advice you have for them, you know, in terms of lessons learned? Donnie, you might be able to speak to lessons learned a little more than me. You know, I think that anybody who's considering doing this should. And we we hear from a lot of school systems actually that are coming to us because they know we do this work and are asking how they can get it started. And people have been able to do that by grants. That's another thing that COVID provided was some funding to some schools that they were able to utilize in that way. And I think it just depends on the, the group, right? The school system, whether they have a large student population that's in need of those services or not. You know, what lessons learned would you say, Donnie? It really went pretty well. (laughs) It did. I think the lesson learned would be don't be afraid to try. And the same reliability that we get with student sessions, the schools see that also. Mm -hmm. Schools have told us we had the hardest time getting a reliable provider here because that provider had a life happening outside too, but virtual enabled us to have that reliability that our students needed and that we wanted for our students because we didn't have to worry about driving there or traffic or even really an illness because therapists could see that kid even if, you know, they had a little sniffly nose and they might want to stay home, they can still see that kid and the kid gets the services that they need. You know, I think with any virtual platform, it's better to over communicate too with your customer and the schools being the customer. So when they don't see you there every day, you know, they mm. forget. And so it's important to put their statistics in front of them. And this is how well you're doing and how many referrals we're getting and how low the no-show rate is. And I think that that's helpful to just reinforce what a positive program that it is, is to just continue to remind them. 
Mm-hmm. Absolutely. That keeping those lines of communication, that dialogue open is so key in any sort of partnership and more so I'm sure in this where schools are kind of branching out to a new type of program that traditionally they haven't offered. So that is, yeah, absolutely essential. So we're coming up to the end of our time here today. But, you know, before we end our discussion, I do want to touch upon health equity, such a key part of healthcare access, especially, you know, in our sort of ongoing pandemic world. So what are some key health equity barriers in school-based telemental healthcare? And, you know, what can providers do to ensure that health equity issues uh, do not arise with the implementation of these programs? I can jump in if you want, Donnie, because we mentioned some of them already. And and Mm -hmm. what virtual care does is it takes away barriers. And so it provides health equity to everyone because everyone has the same opportunity to seek services, right? It doesn't, your ability to get therapy is not dependent on transportation. It's not dependent on having a parent or guardian that can take off in the middle of the day and take you to your therapy. And so that I think is such a benefit. It doesn't matter where you're located. You know, we can be in Charlotte with a therapist and treat someone in rural Lincoln County when there's not a therapist there for them to see normally. It really takes away barriers. Now, Donna, you can probably speak a little bit to how school systems are addressing children that might not have a third-party reimbursement or any kind of insurance, because that is probably something we want to talk about. Right. So we have really worked with schools about ways that they can utilize funding that they have in a very cost-effective way to provide some, we call them grant funding for students who are underinsured or uninsured. I think another issue that happens a lot is a language barrier. And if you are providing solely in-person services, getting that translator there when you need it is difficult. It's not difficult when it's a virtual session and you can call a person right in to provide that service. And that's a great added benefit that those kids who might have to wait even a little longer for care can get it virtually. Absolutely. So really sort of thinking through those social determinants of health barriers and kind of having those additional resources in place to make sure that kids who need it can get the care they need. Yeah, absolutely. Fantastic. Well, on that note, we will end our discussion here. Donnie and Christine, thank you so much for coming on the podcast today and sharing your thoughts on this vital subject. Thanks for letting us share about it. Thank you very much. And for our listeners, feel free to reach out to share your thoughts on this topic. My email address is avedya at techtarget.com. That's A-V-A-I-D-Y-A at techtarget.com. You can also use that email address to share any healthcare-related questions or stories that you would like us to consider covering. Also, if you enjoyed today's conversation, please do let us know. You can rate us and write a review on whichever platform you use to listen to the podcast. Thank you so much for listening. This has been an Excelligent Healthcare Media production. 